Welcome to the City Beautiful Church podcast. Thank you for taking the time to join our family as we strive to live together in heavenly reality. For more great content, visit us online at citybeautiful.ch. We are here another Sunday in the Piercing the Veil series. We're looking at different parables uh, that Jesus tells throughout the New Testament. And today we're looking at a parable that probably most of us are familiar with, the parable of the Good Samaritan, kind of one of the hits of the parable album. Uh, so we'll be talking about that in a little bit. And it's interesting, you know, I, when, I, when I read some of these parables, a lot of it's like, that seems so simple. But they're infinitely prof- profound and complex. And the more we talk about them and the more we explore them, I think the more depth we really see that each of these parables holds within them. And so that's my hope today. You know, we'll talk about uh, this conversation that Jesus is having with this lawman. And Jesus says, uh, well, the lawman asks Jesus, how do I inherit eternal, eternal life? And the lawman, the lawman asks Jesus, how do I in- inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, what do you think? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, love your neighbor as yourself. And when we read that, and as we've talked about it, you know, ad nauseum for the entirety of our lives in Christendom, it could seem easy, it can seem simple. But I think each of us naturally resonates with specific pieces of that instruction, and other pieces of it are really difficult for us. And so I think as we read this today, it's my hope that we would embrace the things that come easily to us, the things that are, um, are kind of second nature for us when it comes to loving God and loving other people. And then we would be willing to do the work of diving headfirst into the more difficult parts. And I think that varies for each of us. And so as we talk about these parables in this series, as we talk about this parable today, I hope that we approach all of these with a level of grace for ourselves that recognizes, yeah, I got this one. Yeah, this one seems easy for me. Yes, this one makes me feel like I'm living in a dance party. (laughs) And then others that are potentially more difficult. So I'm going to pray again, and uh, we'll pray that the lights come into submission. God, thanks for today. Thank you for these parables. Thank you for the, the deep storytelling that we see in the life and ministry of Jesus and the things that that reveals to us about you, the things it reveals to us about your kingdom, the things it reveals to us about us and how we're called to live and the things that we're invited into and the opportunities that we have to respond to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let there be obedient light. So as we talk about the parable of the Good Samaritan, this is the thing I want us to hone in on today. Let's combine love and action and awaken heaven in and around us. Combining love and action is where we're going today. It's kind of what we'll see in the two main characters in the story as Jesus is having a conversation with this expert in the law. Um, And and I think as we do that... um, my hope is that we'll see within ourselves and we'll see within these characters this idea. The kingdom comes when we strip off our trappings of position, fear, busyness, and self-centeredness and return to the original core of who we are. Think of the original core of who we are. We see it in the very beginning that we're made in the image of God. And at the core of who we are, the core of the makeup of what it means to be human 
is that we are, pe- we are people who embody the goodness of God, who embody the character of God. And there are these things that kind of come over us. We get filled up with position and the pride that comes from that. We, be- we become immobilized by the fear of the world. We get busy with the things of life. We begin thinking about ourselves more than we think about others and the people around us. And as I was thinking about this this week, as I was thinking about this parable, I was reading it. And, and the thing that came to me as I stopped and I just said, how is this really like informing and exposing who I am? The thing that I really honed in on and even some of these things was fear. A lot, of the, a lot of the times I'm immobilized by fear and it prevents me from stepping into the fullness of revealing the nature and character of God in and through my own life. And so I sat there and I said, Lord, what are some moments that like truly embody this idea of the Good Samaritan? When have I, when have I encountered people that you've invited me into ministering to or loving well or caring for well? And it was just this like random memory that kind of like triggered in my head of having been in France many years ago with a group of like nine friends. And we were on the subway. And I don't know why, but there was this guy who was probably in his mid-20s who was, we were all standing and the subway was really crowded and there was a bench right here kind of next to where all nine of us were standing. And there was this guy just like sitting on the bench bawling, like just making sounds with his mouth in public, like, you know, these like guttural moans of, of apparent sorrow. And there was this language barrier and there was this like, you know, awkward moment of all of us being in the subway. And I specifically remember having this moment of like, should I say something? If I say something, what will this person think? What will these people that I'm here on the subway think? How will the people around me respond to even, you know, reaching out and offering a moment of solace or comfort to this person. And I think I wrestle with that on a regular basis. And, you know, I just looked at him and I smiled and I I said, "I, I hope everything's okay. And I don't know how much English he spoke and I don't know how much communication there was. But it's just this idea of like, what are the things that are covering over the image of God being revealed through us? What are the things that are preventing us from exposing the image of God that exists at the very nature of who we are? So I want to put this question up here. What are some of the things that get in the way of letting out the image of God in you? And maybe there's some of these things, maybe there are other things, but as we begin this, I just want us to close our eyes and kind of that spirit of reflection, say, Lord, recognizing that your image is inside of me, Recognizing that you've called me to love the world well and let out the goodness and kindness of you from my life. What are some of the things that I need to chip off so that image can be revealed more clearly through me? So let's just pause here for 30 seconds and I want you to consider what are some of the things that are getting in the way of you letting out the image of God in you? God, I pray your grace over us today. I pray your mercy over us today. And these little bits of our lives, these little (sighs) opaque spots that obstruct your image in us, that are maybe little pieces of concrete that um, are, are walls 
that we've built up that prevent your character and your identity that is within us, that prevent that identity from flowing out into the world. God, I pray that your grace would just come over us today as a solvent that dissolves all of these little spots that have marred who we are and become these obstructions to you flowing through our lives. God, thank you for the invitation today to be you in the world, to represent your character in the lives of the people that we encounter every day and the situations that we come upon. Thank you. Thank you that you entrust us with that. And I pray that today we would experience your face shining upon us, your smile over us, welcoming, welcoming us into a deep place of experiencing your kindness. And in that kindness, God, would it serve as an inspiration for us to truly allow you to transform us, to chip away the rough spots. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're going to read Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. This is the parable of the Good Samaritan and Jesus' encounter with this teacher of the law, the expert in the law. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He, the teacher of the law, answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho where he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robber? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So let's hop back to the top, take these a little section at a time. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The expert here is questioning Jesus. And it reminds me of Nathan's message a couple weeks ago when Nathan talked about kind of these authority structures and leadership and, and these struggles with power. And Nathan talking about how in his classroom, there are these kids who will like, you know, come up and try to usurp Nathan's power and exert power over him. And if they can do that, they can, be, can begin controlling the classroom for the remainder of the school year. And here I see this struggle with power as the expert is coming to Jesus, who he refers to as teacher, in an attempt to exert 
power over Jesus so that he can control the situation, not just the situation of this moment, but all the things that Jesus is doing to upset and bring unrest to the existing religious structure of the day. And so here we see from the very beginning that the expert in the law is allowing position to get in the way of who he's truly called to be. From the beginning, we see this tension with power. And so we ask the question, I think, in this context, well, then what is the role of the expert in society? All of us have things that we delve into every day on a regular basis, things that maybe we're experts in. Things, again, that even going back to the beginning of like things that come easily to us. Do we allow those things that we're experts in? Do we allow those things that come second nature to us? Do we allow our expertise to become a weapon? Or are we using it to serve the world around us? We misuse our expertise when we use it as a weapon. Our expertise is meant to be a tool for service. And so that's what we see in this uh, expert in the law's position. He's an expert in the law. He's now using that expertise as a weapon, trying to trap Jesus. And so he, from the beginning, is using his position, misusing his position in a way that sets up the situation to kind of be this conflict that we'll see unfold. And then Jesus responds, what is written in the law, he replied, how do you read it? And I love this, like Jesus just turns it back on him, and I think this is a great tool for patient people. Like if you exhibit and if patience comes easily to you, asking a question in response to a question like this is often a great thing. I think I'm an impatient person and I usually snap with responses as opposed to doing the wise thing which Jesus does here, which is to engage the man in relationship. Loving the world well is about a process of engagement, not final solutions or right answers. And I think in life, when we come into a relationship with other people and we have these conversations and we have these moments where maybe there's disagreement or maybe we can sense that somebody's doing something out of impure motives or for some reason we don't understand, and we try to come to final solutions really quickly or we try to come to like right answers really quickly so we can end the situation and play this power struggle game that the expert in the law is playing. It would be really easy for Jesus to get caught up in this game that's being set up here by the expert in the law by responding in kind. Oh, you think you have power over me? Little do you know, you idiot. That's the way I have a tendency to respond. Right? But what does Jesus do here? He shows us that loving the world well is about a process of engagement, not just about these final solutions or right answers. Now, I think Jesus maybe in the back of his mind was like, oh, <laughs> really? Is this the conversation you want to have? Is this how you want to have the conversation? Maybe there was a little bit of chuckle under, you know, Jesus' voice when he asked the question back. But on the surface, and I think even at the heart of Jesus, we see this person who is full of compassion and care for the people around him, who really is passionate about engaging others in a process. He, the expert in the law, answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And I love what happens here, because Jesus responds to this answer saying, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. Jesus affirms this answer that the expert in the law has given him, which is kind of an amalgamation of several Old Testament passages, 
that instruct us to do these things. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And I think even in this list, if we can put it back up, love your neighbor with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. You want to put that passage back up for me? I don't know if it was there. I don't know. Anyway, you can remember it. Heart, soul, mind, strength. I think for all of us, these things come more easily for some and more difficultly for others. Like maybe we have a tendency to love with our heart. We can get really stirred up in an emotional way that allows us to do this beautiful thing with just like just gushing and pouring out this beautiful love toward God and toward other people. And maybe that comes really easily to you, but maybe you have a hard time loving God with your strength. That when you don't feel like it, that it's hard to just get up and do things that embody and exhibit love. Or maybe you're the other way where it's like, you know what, I can be really disciplined about these things in my spiritual life. I can be really disciplined about getting up every morning and opening the Bible and reading scripture and spending time reflecting on it. And, and I pray and I say these things, but at the same time, maybe it's very difficult for you to have a warm heart toward God and others. And I love the holistic nature of this response, which Jesus affirms as being the correct answer. To love the Lord our God with all of our heart, our emotional center, this sense of deep longing that overflows from a beautiful place with inside of us. With all of our soul, our thoughts, our will, our emotions, with all of our strength and everything that we do, with effort, with discipline, with all of our mind, with all of the things that we think, with all of our mindset, with the way that we process the world, to love God in a holistic fashion, and then to love our neighbor as ourself. So what's at the crux here? What's at the heart here? Because Jesus and the expert in the law are actually agreeing on this point. But then Jesus adds this, do this and you will live. Do this and you will live. That's where the dichotomy is. For the expert in the law, everything was philosophical. Everything was about knowing the right answer. Everything was about having it all together and having the right position. But for Jesus, it was all about doing this. It was all about step, stepping into the active process of loving God and loving others well. The expert in the law was obsessed with hold upholding his traditional understanding of what the right answers were. It was all philosophical, but Jesus was committing out to the, to, committed to living out the law recklessly. And we see this over and over again in Jesus' life. He was committed to living out love actively. And we see it when he's dining with tax collectors and sinners and everyone points at him and says, what are you doing? That's not the kind of thing that the people in charge do. We see Jesus, even in the story, bringing up Samaritans. But at other points in scripture, we see the point where he's sitting with the Samaritan woman at the well. And even she questions, why are you talking to me? He heals on the Sabbath and he's questioned about it. Jesus allows the love of God to proactively flow out of him. And that's the difference between the expert of the law for whom it was all philosophical thought 
in Jesus who is committed to letting the love of God flow recklessly out of his life, even when it gave people fodder and ammunition to point their fingers at him and say, you are doing this wrong. And that is what we see in the life of Jesus. And it's actually what we're about to see in the parable when this guy asks, who is my neighbor? And for me, this is kind of like my, part of my story growing up. I grew up and had some wonderful spiritual experiences and was in many times a wonderful spiritual environment. But as I look back and I evaluate kind of my spiritual experience growing up, so much of it was committed to this former idea of knowing all the answers, of having all the right information, of like showing up at church on Sunday and Wednesday and going to these classes that were like 12 weeks long on apologetics, on how to defend your faith. And there's nothing wrong with knowing those things, but I cannot point to one two-week series, four-week series, certainly not a 12-week series, that was designed on helping me walk into my school as a student and care about people who were uncared for. Or to walk into a, a lunchroom where kids were like eating by themselves and someone encouraging me, hey, maybe you should think about what it means for you to be a Christian and your relationship at that, with that person over there who's sitting all by themselves. Like never once was I trained to do that. Or, or, or encouraged to ask those kinds of questions. And I think it's really easy for us to systematize our faith and make it all about having the right answers and knowing all of the information. And the expert in the law had all the right answers and he knew all the right information. But the thing that he was missing is what Jesus said. Do this and you will live. I think we come to life when we really move into this place of saying, yes, Lord, I want to be active in representing who you are in the experiences that I encounter every day. And for God, acts of mercy have always triumphed over and trumped religious duty. All the way back in Hosea 6, 6, God says, I desire mercy over sacrifice. And people had gotten into the ritual and the routine of just bringing the sacrifice and doing it in a meaningless way. They had lost the symbolism of what those things actually me meant. And God is saying, no, 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 what I desire is for you to embody mercy in the world around you. For you to take all of this stuff that you think you know and to begin to live it out in everything that you do. And when Jesus says to me, you have answered correctly, go and do likewise, I think my, I hope my natural response would be, okay, that went well, I'll go do that. But the expert in the law, wanting to justify himself, asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So he hasn't learned the lesson yet, but that's okay, because it gives us an opportunity to learn more. And I think what we see here, again, back to the very real moment of Jesus and this expert in the law, goes back to what Ryan talked about last week, about kindness. Jesus is exhibiting extreme kindness here in this situation. Jesus is tipping the scales in favor of this expert in the law. Jesus isn't berating him. Jesus isn't tearing him apart. Jesus isn't making him feel stupid. Jesus is just in this moment when this expert in the law is clearly trying to trap Jesus for his own selfish motivations, Jesus does not respond in kind. 
Jesus responds by being patient and not humiliating him, not trapping him, and not reciprocating this opportunity to trap. We don't see Jesus threatened here. And I think that's why Jesus was always able to constantly reveal the kingdom. That's why Jesus was always able to allow the image of God to flow out of him, to allow the realities of the kingdom of heaven to be present in and through his actions and his life. Because Jesus was never threatened. And he never allowed these things that we just reflected on a moment ago, pride and fear and the need to get it right and the need to get his own way. Jesus never allowed those things to mar his ability to reveal heaven around him. Revealing heaven means we don't let the rough pieces of our humanity get in the way of letting the image of God out. And Jesus so beautifully embodies that here. Jesus is exhibiting the patience of heaven, the kindness of God in this situation. He's exhibiting extreme wisdom here. And he's not letting his frustrations or his fears or his anxiety or his position like, Jesus is in charge in this situation. Jesus could shut it down at any moment, but he chooses to embody the realities of heaven and let the image of God out in this moment. And so this is where Jesus tells this story of a man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side of the road. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. And the priest and the Levite here are doing exactly what the expert of the law is doing in the moment with Jesus. They're allowing their position, they're allowing their authority, they're allowing their knowledge of the law and their thoughts on what should be and shouldn't be to prevent them from stepping into a moment with a heart of compassion to express the mercy of God. And in the same way, this expert in the law is doing that here. He's using this, uh, this question in an attempt to accomplish his own selfish agenda. And so both the expert in the law who's questioning Jesus and these two metaphorical priests and Levites walking by are using religion to get in the way of being in relationship with people in a healthy way that allows them to reveal heaven. And instead, they use their religion to justify their own selfishness. And so I wonder how often we, too, step into this trap of allowing the things that we think are right, allowing our religious justifications, allowing our own human justifications to get in the way of exhibiting the deep, compassionate heart of the Lord of exhibiting and embodying kindness and allowing it to flow out of us, allowing kindness to tip the scales in the favor of other people. And here comes the Samaritan. A Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. And we already know that there's kind of this rift, this feud between the Jews and the Samaritans. We know that they're not cultures who get along with one another. Some brief historical things in 2 Kings chapter 17. The Samaritans were attacked by these lions. 
And so the Jews go and they say, you're not getting it right. And that's why the lions came to attack your village. And so there was this like rift that was developing between them. And the Samaritans thought they were getting it right. And the Jews thought they were getting it right. And then at some point along the way, the Samaritans kind of allow their worship of God to kind of meld with and mesh with uh, idol worship, which also we see many times happens in the, in the Jewish people as well. And there's just this ongoing feud. And then they're rebuilding the temple. The Jews are rebuilding the temple. And the Samaritans come and offer to help rebuild the temple. And the Jews reject their help, which leads to this long kind of centuries-long feud between the Jews and the Samaritans that was based in marriages and kings and who is who and who has what and whose power is in control and all of these things that have just kind of like made the relationship very complex. And so for Jesus to say a Samaritan is traveling al along the road and comes to the man where the man is, it's, it's a big cultural statement, it's a big political statement, and after centuries of hostility, it means a lot to these people. And actually, one of the things that's really interesting to me is just soon before this, in Luke chapter 9, Jesus has been snubbed by the Samaritans. Jesus goes in a Samar into a Samaritan city, and they don't pay any attention to him and his disciples. And so they turn around and they leave the city. Jesus has just brushed up against this feud that exists between the Jews and the Samaritans. Yet Jesus chooses to use a Samaritan because what Jesus is saying to us here, it's not about who's right, it's not about who's wrong, it's not about who has the most favor, it's not about who's in charge, it's not about who's in control, it's not about who you think is nice. It's about us chipping off the rough pieces of our humanity and not using our position to justify our wrongdoing or using our fear to walk away from a situation. It's not about any of those things. In fact, it's about regardless of any of those things, rising up to the place where we say the image of God is in me. The mind of Christ is in my mind. And I'm gonna rise above all of these complexities that we've created for ourselves and step into loving the world well and embodying the character of God and allowing it to flow in and through me. We love letting the complexity of religion get in the way of doing good. We can make things really complex, and sometimes things are really complex. There's no question about that. But we come to life. We come to life when we respond to the prompting inside us and do what we know we are what we already know we must do. And that is the call that Jesus gives to this man earlier. You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Jesus says, start doing this stuff and you will come to life. And so what did the Samaritan do? He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The Samaritan touched this man. There's something powerful about being part of the work. Giving is great. Giving to a cause is wonderful. Generosity is something that we're called to do. But are we also coming face to face and being in the moment with people who are different than us or people that we're called to serve or people that we're called to care about? Generosity is essential. So is active service. Are we present with people? Are we present in the world? Are we active in loving well and acting uh, there's so much talk about being present, the value of being present. 
And it's this idea of like, you know, if you're on a film set, like there's a crew around, but you're in a scene with a partner. And are you able to be present with that partner despite all of the things that are happening around you? All of the fear of, will I do it right? What will these people think? There's all of these things, all of these complexities that are happening in the world around us all the time. But are we willing to be present with people so that we can serve them well and love them as God loves them? And the Samaritan did so much for this man. The Samaritan gave his comfort by touching his wounds. That can be so uncomfortable. The Samaritan gave his possessions. He poured oil and wine on the wounds of this wounded man. The Samaritan gave his position. He literally lifted the man up and put the man on his donkey. And the, the Samaritan walked next to this man on the ground while, this, while the wounded man rode on the donkey. He obviously gave his time. In contrast to the priest and the Levite who used their power to live a life of convenience. And this is the fathering heart of God. This is what it means for God to be our father. God gets in it with us. God is close to us. God touches our wounds. He embraces us. He gives of himself for us. I mean, I see my brother and my sister-in-law interact with my niece and just like all of the fluids that they're not afraid of. Like, that's what it means to be a parent, to not be afraid of the fluids of your child. When everybody else around is like, that is so nasty. But they're like, yep, they spit up on me all the time. This is just part of everyday life. And it's not, it's not gross and it's not scary because love usurps all of that meaningless stuff. And that's what we see in the Samaritan. And that is why the Samaritan is the neighbor. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave him to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. And this wasn't just an in-the-moment thing. The Samaritan was committed to this man's healing for the long term. And maybe that's the hardest part about being a good neighbor. It's easy to show up on somebody's front door and offer them some cookies when they move into the neighborhood. It's way more difficult when you discover they have 27 cats. <laughs> right? And then like a year into it, you're tired of just stepping and stuff in your yard. Right? That's when the hard part comes in, and that's when we really truly embody what it means to be a neighbor. Not just because we show up on the front doorstep, and a great welcome is a perfect way to start off, so take the cookies. But what does it mean like a year or two years or five years into it? And that's what we see here in the Samaritan. He gave him some money, and he said to the innkeeper, look after him, I'll, I'll come back here. I'll pay the extra expense. I'm committed to investing in this for the long term, that's our relationship that you hear so much about with Peru, the, the, the ministry, the church we've developed a relationship with in Peru. It's a years-long relationship. And that's why we care about serving those people there because they're people we know and love. And it's not always easy to be a good neighbor for years on end, but that is what we are called to. So Jesus is the one now asking the questions, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus brings it back to the thing that he's already said. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. And again, it wasn't 
just the right answer. Hey, answer the question right. Who's the neighbor? It's not just about knowing the answer. Jesus puts the pin on the tail of the donkey and says, go and do likewise. And in this, I think we see this idea that closeness to God isn't evidenced in moral authority. It's expressed in our deep compassion. How much time do we spend trying to be the right ones in the room or in culture? How much time do we spend trying to convince everybody to think like we think and believe like we believe and do like we do? We spend way too much time trying to get the world to do and believe the right stuff. When I think the perfect vehicle, the perfect vessel, the perfect opportunity is expressing the deep compassion of God to everyone we encounter every day, all day for the long haul. Because people are curious about the answers to the questions when they know that we're engaged in this process of embodying the character of God and revealing it to us and through us to them every day, all day, in everything that we do. And I feel like Jesus here in this parable is saying, stop, just stop with all of this. Stop with all of these games. Stop with all of this positioning and this posturing. Stop, the world is dying. The world is in need. Like growing up, I cannot tell you how many legitimate conversations I heard or had about whether or not it was okay for there to be drums in church. Like that, that in some circles is still a legitimate conversation. And I think God is standing by saying, just make sure your love is louder than the drums. I can handle the drums. Use drums, don't use drums, I don't care. But if you use drums, just make sure your love is louder than the drums. And I think we get wrapped up in all of this like moral positioning and authority and who's right and what's right. And we totally ignore the important thing, which is being a good neighbor. We have a huge opportunity to shape and shift the culture in the direction of the realities of heaven, in the direction of peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, to literally shape the world, to shift the way the world works. We have the opportunity to do that. But I think it starts with us, first of all, showing up. And maybe this is a challenge to all of, the, all of us in this room, to show up to more stuff, to show up to whatever it is you're called to help shape. Like maybe it, it means figuring out who's like the neighborhood captain in your neighborhood and going to the neighborhood meeting. And it, it will be awkward. There'll probably be like three people there because not many people show up to that kind of thing. But like we love staying in our bubble. We love staying around people that make us feel good. We love hanging out with people that are just like us. We love being in environments where we're not challenged or don't have to challenge anybody else on anything because everybody's just like us. We love that. We gravitate toward that. It's natural. We understand it. That's tribes. Like humans have existed that way for forever. 
But for us to truly have an impact on other people and on the world around us, it will mean we show up to stuff. We show up in our neighborhood. We show up at our company meeting. We show up at, you know, the city hall thing. We show up wherever it is that you're called to show up. It means that we show up. And number two, it's not just showing up. It's also showing up with the expectation of being the good Samaritan, of being a good neighbor. It means we show up with the expectation of allowing the image of God that's in us to spill out from us. So we show up and we show up with expectation. I'll end with this passage, Matthew chapter 7. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, puts them into practice, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and has not put them into practice is like the foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. The kingdom is discovered and revealed when we act. You want to know what the kingdom looks like, act. You want others to know what the kingdom looks like? Act. Be active. Go out. Do. Don't just be a hearer of the word. Be a doer of the word. Be conscious of the opportunity that each of us has. Every day, always. Breathe. Remember. Access. Reveal. I would be remiss if I didn't remind us that like so much of all of this is being mindful of the opportunity that we have to do it. So we have to breathe and remember and access the goodness of God and reveal it into the world. We have to take time to stop and do it. Let's stand together. God, again, thank you for your grace and your goodness, your kindness over us. God, thanks for... Um, Thanks for the rough pieces of each of our lives. They don't always feel good. Sometimes they get us into trouble. They're not always pretty, those rough pieces. But they're an opportunity for us to engage you. They're an opportunity for us to stay in this process of relationship with you throughout the whole of our lives. So God, would you melt away today our fear, our self-centeredness, our obsession with position, our pride, our forgetfulness. Would you just chip those things away? Would you dissolve them today? And tomorrow when we wake up and there's like a little bit more of growth like that's sprung back up in those places where you've washed us, God, would you just wash us again? Would you dissolve those things each morning? Would you make us mindful in such a way as that we come back to you over and over again and say, God, would you remind me to let you wash this away today? With your eyes closed, I just want to speak some, um, some things over you. You're, you are good at the heart of who you are. 
is the character of God. You are good and things are okay. God's not worried. He's compassionate. He's good. He's patient with you. He's present in the process. And you have the ability to be a good neighbor. Within you, in the character of God in you, in the mind of Christ in you, in you is and are the realities of heaven. And you have been extended an invitation to reveal those realities in the world around you every day. So with joy and lightness of heart and expectation and a smile, we're not weighed down. We're freed into the lightness of Jesus. This invitation to go and do likewise. So as we sing these songs, Lord, we ask that your goodness and your kindness, your lightness, your grace, your mercy would rise like a tide in this place and wash us so that when we go from here, we would go from here with a smile on our face and joy in our hearts to love the world well. This has been the City Beautiful Church podcast. To stay connected, follow us on social everywhere at City Beautiful CH. We hope you join us again soon.